Hello, you're listening to a podcast from Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Radio Maria is a 24-7 Catholic radio station broadcasting online via our app, Radio Maria Play, and on DAB in an increasing number of areas. You can follow us on social media. And if you enjoy this program, please do click like and subscribe to us on your podcast provider. Radio Maria relies entirely upon listener donations. We have no other sources of funding, so please do consider supporting us with a monthly or one-off donation so that we can continue to keep providing great programming free at the point of access. To donate or find out more, visit us at radiomariaengland.uk. This is Radio Maria, live from the Cambridge studio, and this morning we have a new programme, The Sister Side. Good morning, Sister Rose. Good morning, thank you, Elizabeth. Father Toby is away, and so Sister Rose Rowling of the Dominican Sisters of Catherine of Siena in Cambridge has kindly agreed to step in, and so we've called the programme The Sister Side. And this morning, Sister Rose will be talking to you about Jesus as bridegroom. So what a beautiful topic. Thank you so much, Sister Rose. Over to you. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be with you all. And hello to all our listeners this morning. So this morning, I want to share with you something that I've been pondering more deeply recently, something which is very dear to my heart. And this is the subject of Christ the Bridegroom. You see, at the heart of my vocation as a religious sister is my vow of celibacy. And this is a promise I made to the Lord to remain unmarried in the world, or rather to instead marry him and become a bride of Christ and a spiritual mother in his church. And the vocations to religious life and to consecrated virginity in the world are called to embody the mystery of the church as virgin, bride and mother in a special way here on earth. One which recalls the church's duty to be completely and exclusively devoted to her spouse from whom she receives every good thing. However, it is a calling that all the baptized members of the church are destined for. Let me say that again. This is a calling that all the baptized members of the church are destined for. As baptized people, we are all betrothed to Christ and intended for the wedding feast of heaven, which is our exclusive and everlasting union with our Lord and God. What happens in the consecrated life is simply an intensification and a sign and symbol of our, our original baptismal call. And this calling is a great mystery and a beautiful gift, but one which I think we can easily forget 
one we don't often talk about. And this is why I want to share some reflections with you this morning on Christ to the Bridegroom and the calling of his bride, the church, and all of us, her members. I just want to say that an excellent book on this topic, which I really recommend to you, is called Jesus the Bridegroom by Dr. Brant Petrie. And Dr. Petrie highlights passages from the Old and New Testaments and explores some of the key features of the church and her mysteries, which make the reality of God's love for his people come alive. And this has been a really influential book in my life, and I will be quoting and commenting on some parts of it this morning. So, this morning we're talking about Christ as the divine bridegroom. But where do we even get the idea that Jesus is the bridegroom? Well, I want to share with you three key New Testament passages. The first is the miracle of the wedding feast at Cana, which is Christ's first miracle. And let's just remind ourselves of that story, which we find in John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Here it says, On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to me and to you? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water, and they filled them to the brim. He said to them, now draw some out and take it to the person in charge of the banquet. So they took it. When the person in charge tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, that person called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So what is happening here is that Jesus is revealing himself as the Messiah. And Dr. Petrie in his book says that according to ancient Jewish tradition outside the Bible, one of the ways you would know that the Messiah had finally arrived would be the miraculous abundance of wine. Dr. Petrie continues, when Mary implicitly asks Jesus to provide wine for the wedding, she is not just asking him to solve a potentially embarrassing family problem. In a Jewish context, she is also asking him to assume the role of Jewish bridegroom. You see, it would have been the responsibility of the designated bridegroom and his family to provide the wine, not Jesus, who was a guest. 
And this is why Mary's request seems so odd. But actually, Mary is calling forth Jesus' identity as the divine bridegroom. That's the first of our passages. Moving on from Cana to the next chapter of John's Gospel, we hear John the Baptist identifying Jesus as the bridegroom. Listen to this passage. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. For this reason, my joy has been fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. So Dr. Petrie once again unpacks some of this passage for us. Here, John the Baptist calls himself the friend of the bridegroom. In Jewish betrothals, the friend of the bridegroom was responsible for carrying out marriage negotiations. So John the Baptist, in preparing the way for Christ, is preparing for the future union between Christ and the church. When John says, hear the voice of the bridegroom, this is an allusion to the famous biblical prophecy of the Messiah. In one of the passages from the book of Jeremiah, the prophet connects the hearing of the voice of the bridegroom and bride with the coming of the future Davidic king. So once again, like with the miracle of Cana, Christ's messiahship is being pointed to. Finally, the title of bridegroom is one that Jesus ascribes to himself when he is questioned about fasting, an account recorded in Matthew, Mark and Luke's gospel. Listen to this, quoted from Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 to 15. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often? but your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, the wedding attendants cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. So finally, Dr. Petrie elaborates once more. Jesus clearly identifies himself as the bridegroom and suggests that the present time, while he and his disciples are together, is like an ancient Jewish wedding feast. It's a time for celebration, not for fasting or for mourning. Before we come on to the part that I find most awe-inspiring, I want to just pause briefly. I came across Dr. Petrie's book quite coincidentally, or we might say providentially, at a time when I was very much struggling with accepting the suffering and death of Jesus on the cross as an act of love and freedom. I had often struggled in my Christian journey to gaze on a crucifix or to meditate on the passion of Christ, finding it just too sad, too hard, too raw. I used to ask myself, how could God allow it? How could Jesus choose it? How was I supposed to take up my cross and follow the Lord? I wonder, what do you see when you look at a crucifix 
St. Paul tells us that we can look at the crucifix, at the crucifixion of Christ, and see the love of a bridegroom for his bride. And Dr. Petrie develops St. Paul's point. And this is the sentence which changed my life and my whole perspective on the cross. He writes, the day of Jesus' death is his wedding day. That's right. Jesus' death is his wedding day. The cross is the consummation of the wedding feast. The wedding feast having been his public ministry. On the night of consummation, in a Jewish ceremony, the bridegroom would leave his friends and family and enter into what was known as the bridal chamber in order to be united to his bride, not to emerge again until morning. So already we see here the death and resurrection of Christ is prefigured. So the, those are the three passages of scripture that I want to draw your attention to. And before we move on further, we're going to stop now for a song break. Thank you so much, Sister Rose. We're going to have a listen to Father Tansy's beautiful song, Garden. I want to go to the place all alone where only we know I want to go to the place in my soul where only we know How beautiful is the place where I go with you, Lord, alone A hidden cove is the place where streams flow There you rest, my soul A garden enclosed Where living water flows Is the place where we go To go to the place through the groves where your spices grow. I'll always mirror in the place where alone, where only we know. Oh, hurry on, Jesus, haste, let us go to my hungry soul when wine and bread.
to the place alone where only we know your name is sweet to my taste to my soul and where Flows. It's the place where we go. It got in and coast. But living water flows. It's the place where we go. This is Radio Maria. That was Garden, sung by Father Tanzia, Franciscan Friar of the renewal and this is the sister side and sister rose is taking us deeper into the mystery of jesus as our bridegroom thank you so much sister rose back over to you thank you very much elizabeth so in our first part this morning we've heard three key gospel passages identifying jesus as the bridegroom we heard the miracle at cana We heard John the Baptist's identification of Christ. And finally, we heard Christ's own self-identification when he was questioned by the Pharisees. Well, that's all very well, but what does that mean for us? Well, this next half of our time will be used to explore the sacrament of baptism and the identity of the church so that we can understand our place in spousal union with God. So let's start by looking at our baptism. Baptism is such a deep, rich, multi-layered spiritual reality. One way of summing it up briefly is by saying that baptism is our sharing in Christ's victory over death. It is, if you recall what I said earlier, our wedding day with Christ, a prefiguration of the final wedding banquet of heaven. If we die with him, we will rise with him. But baptism goes deeper than that, further than that, especially when we consider Christ as our bridegroom. So Dr. Petrie says once again that we can understand baptism as the bridal bath If Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is his bride, then Christian baptism is more than just a sign of repentance or an ordinance or a ritual of initiation. It goes deeper than just victory over death, but it's the bridal bath by which Jesus cleanses us from sin so that we can be united to God. The Catechism of the Catholic Church expands on this when it says, the unity of Christ and the church, head and members of one body, also implies the distinction of the two within a personal relationship. And this aspect is often expressed by the image of bridegroom and bride. The apostle Paul speaks of the whole church and of each of the faithful members of his body as a bride betrothed to Christ the Lord so as to become but one spirit with him. So if we take earthly marriage, which is a sign of the unity of Christ and the church, we know that the two become one flesh. 
so it is in our baptism. We become one with Christ. In baptism, then, our sins are washed away and we are joined to Christ in a perpetual union. Remember that our baptisms can never be undone. They leave what's called an indelible mark on our soul. It's something that will last forever. We can't lose it. We, it can't be taken away from us. It is forever a seal on our heart. So in this way, in receiving baptism, our souls are made both virgin and bride and destined for our betrothed, who is Christ. The birth and growth of the divine life in our hearts also comes with a responsibility for spiritual fruitfulness. Remember that the sign of a genuine union is that it is fruitful. So our reception of the word, who is Christ, is not to be barren or sterile, but to multiply through the fruits of the Spirit, which we hear listed by St. Paul in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. Things like peace, joy, charity. It's also manifested through our good works, like the works of mercy, to forgive others, to take care of our neighbour if they are hungry, if they are sick. And it's also found in fostering the life of faith in other people. This mutual outpouring, God's indwelling in us through baptism and our response through our works, enables us to be both the children of God and of the church, and also to become spiritual mothers and fathers through grace. Every single one of us, as a baptised person, is called to spiritual motherhood and fatherhood in some way. We are called to share our faith, to pass it on, to multiply it, to be generative people. So that's part of our dignity and our calling as baptised people. The Catechism then goes on to say, in looking at the Church, the Church is the spotless bride of the spotless Lamb. Christ loved the Church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. He has joined her with himself in an everlasting covenant and never stops caring for her as his own body. We might think especially of the priesthood in this case, how that takes this and makes it a very concrete and visible sign for us. The priest is married to the, to the church and like a husband is called to, to lay down his life for her in love and service. When we talk about the church as the bride, and us as her members, we are talking about what St. Augustine calls the whole Christ. The whole Christ is the head, who is Christ, and the body, who is her members. Head and body, one formed from many. Whether the head or members speak, it is Christ who speaks. He speaks in his role as the head and in his role as the body. And what does this mean? The two will become one flesh. And as the Lord says in the Gospel, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. They are in fact two different persons, 
but they are one in the conjugal union. As head, he calls himself the bridegroom. As body, he calls himself the bride. So what this means is that when we are baptized, it's not that we're absorbed into God. It's not that we lose ourselves, that our humanity or our individuality is lost. No, we're still separate. We're still unique individuals, but we're joined into that mystery of becoming one. This is the same as happens with a man and woman where they receive the sacrament of marriage. The two become one, although they remain separate and distinct persons. But what then is the role of a bride? Well, she is called to love her husband and her children. What this means is that the church is called above all to love Christ. And what does love look like? Well, St. Paul gives us a beautiful reflection in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 7. He says, Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in the wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And a little later on, we hear from St. Paul that love never ends. It's the one thing, the one gift that never comes to an end. I wonder, do you see these attributes in your relationship with the Lord? St. Paul's words can serve as a helpful examination of conscience. With love also comes the call to faithfulness. And what this means is not letting our hearts wander to flirting with idols or substitutes or other lovers. Is the Lord the first person in your life or is your heart given over to another? The whole history of the people of Israel, the whole history of the Old Testament is really this story of God calling his people to this spousal fidelity and them being unfaithful. But of course, God is always faithful and we can always come back to him. That is the continuous call. Come back to the Lord, be faithful, seek him first, seek him above everything else. The bride is also called to give birth to and to sustain life and we do the church does this through the sacraments through baptism especially which is new spiritual birth through the healing of the sick through the burying of the dead the, the church also as bride is called to help the bridegroom in his mission of salvation through her works of teaching and healing and prayer all of this the birth the sustenance of life, these works of mercy, all of this is part of the mission of the church as the bride of Christ. But it also applies to us too as baptized people. So the church is betrothed, espoused, promised as the intended bride of her husband, Jesus Christ. The marriage, however, is not yet consummated, but is to come when he returns to us at the end of time. The apostolic exhortation, 
which is a specific type of church document, Vita Consecrata, meaning on the consecrated life, written by Pope John Paul II. This is considered the church's key document on the consecrated life and its mission in the church. It says that the consecrated life is at the very heart of the church as a decisive element for her mission, since it manifests the inner nature of the Christian calling and the striving of the whole church as bride towards union with her one spouse. So my role as a sister, my marriage to the Lord, if you like, is to witness to this union between Christ and the church and to be assigned to all the baptized to remain faithful and fruitful to the divine bridegroom, Jesus Christ. We're now going to break for our next song. Thank you so much, Sister Rose. We have a lovely song, Intimacy, from Matt Redman. Jesus, 
Intimacy from Matt Redman. This is Radio Maria and the sister side, Sister Rose Rowling from the Dominican Sisters of Catherine of Siena talking about the beautiful intimacy with Jesus in a spousal relationship. Back over to you, Sister Rose, for any final thoughts today. Thank you very much. So we've heard this morning three key scripture passages on Christ as the bridegroom. And I would encourage you to return and reflect on them in your own time of private prayer. We've also heard that our call as baptized people and then collectively as, as the church is to live in spousal fidelity to Christ, our bridegroom. And we see the bridal mysteries in particular, baptism, the Eucharist, matrimony and consecrated celibacy as particular signs, witnesses to the truth of this spousal union. Although, of course, the ultimate destiny of our soul, the call of our soul, is for lifelong union with Christ. And this brings us to the end of our reflection this morning. Let's just hear some final words from Dr. Petrie, who's been accompanying us on our journey. He says, Every single Christian, whether single or married, man or woman, priest or virgin, monk or nun, husband or wife, every single baptized person is inextricably caught up in the great mystery of the love of God for his people. This love, shown in so many ways, above all has been poured out in the life, death, resurrection and return of Jesus, the divine bridegroom. So I encourage you to continue meditating on the mystery of Christ, the bridegroom and yourself as his spouse and to contemplate your union with him in heaven, which is the sacred banquet. Make your lives a fervent expectation of Christ. Go forth to meet him like the wise virgins setting out to meet the bridegroom. Be always ready and faithful to Christ and to the church. And finally, if you want some summer reading, I highly recommend Dr. Brant Petrie's book, Jesus the Bridegroom, for a fuller exploration of this topic. 
and to come to know the greatest love story ever told, which is the union of God and his people. Thank you and God bless. Sister Rose, perhaps we could just finish with a prayer today. Uh, if you yes. pray, pray for us all and, uh, you know, that, that we can grow closer in this, in this relationship with Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time together this morning. May the reality of Christ, our bridegroom, come to rest in our hearts. Father, may our yearning, our longing, our thirsting for you be brought to its fruition when we come to you in heaven to fulfill forever that divine union of being with you, our Lord and Saviour, our lover of our souls. And Father, I pray for your blessing upon all those who are gathered together listening to this, for all staff and volunteers of Radio Maria. May you fill them with your love. May you confirm us in the truth of your presence and your beauty every day. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Sister Rose, and we very much look forward to welcoming you back to Radio Maria very soon.